From Vintage City Church in Fort Collins, Colorado, it's the Vintage Podcast. So I'm excited to talk today. Um, I want to talk about hearing the voice of God, hearing the whisper, the quiet whisper um, of God. And to do that, I want to tell you guys a story, a story about a Bible story. In fact, a kid's Bible story. Today, I'm referencing my real Bible today. It's this one. It's called the Action Bible. Have you guys seen this? Does anyone know this Bible? Yeah. If you have kids and you don't have this Bible, it's a fantastic gift. If you have grandkids and you want to bless them, bless the family. My son loves this Bible. If we pull out any of the other Bibles, there's a lot more words and a lot fewer scriptures. This one has a lot of of pictures. I'm sorry, I said words. I meant pictures. Lots and lots of pictures and very few words. And so he gets wrapped up into it, and usually it's a matter of saying, stop, done, no more. Uh, we, gotta, we gotta quit for the night. <clears throat> but I was reading him this story of Elijah, and I'm gonna tell the story of Elijah. And I was reading out of this Bible, and God spoke to me, and it was a really important evening for me. So God can speak to you in many ways and at many opportunities. But the story of Elijah goes something like this. He, Elijah, was maybe the, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, maybe second only to John the Baptist, who saw the coming of Jesus. Um, he was in a time, a very dark time. King Ahab was the king of Israel, and he was considered the most detestable king in the sight of the Lord. Uh, did more harm, did more bad things than any other king Israel had had up to that point. He married a gal named Jezebel. Does anybody know Jezebel? The worst queen. In fact, the spirit of Jezebel being named after uh, this queen, carries throughout scripture into the New Testament and in Revelations. The spirit of Jezebel is the spirit that is the great deception, the gross darkness that covers the minds of the people uh, on earth that that guards us from from God. So kind of a bad time in Israel's history. In fact, a really bad time, really, really bad leadership. Uh, Not much God going on. In fact, they had welcomed in Jezebel's god, god uh, Baal, was one of the gods that they were worshiping, uh, worshiping there. And Elijah was the prophet at this time. So it's a hard time for him. In fact, he was the only prophet. There was a bunch of other prophets in hiding, but he was the only active prophet uh, speaking out. If you guys uh, know this story, you know the story. Elijah challenges, well, it's a time of drought, no rain on the land for three years. Uh, lots of famine, lots of death. It's a really, really difficult time of hunger. Uh, so everyone's really hungry. And Elijah challenges all the prophets of Baal to this showdown. And the showdown becomes between 850 prophets of, of Baal and Elijah. And he says, make a sacrifice, have your God come down and consume the sacrifice, prove that your God is real, and Elijah uh, says, I'll do the same. So they do it, they try, and they fail, and it's miserable for them. They try all day long, they dance and sing and chant and all that junk, and nothing happens. Uh, Elijah, he does something crazy, considered to us, as he, well, first he takes 12 stones, representing the 12 tribes of Israel, builds an altar, puts the meat and the wood on it, digs a trench and douses it with water, gallon upon gallon upon gallon of water, just soaks it down. And, uh, and then he doesn't have to chant. He doesn't have to do all these dances or crazy stuff. He just simply says the word of the Lord, God come. And God shows up, boom. And in fact, in the picture Bible, right? You love it because it's a picture Bible. So my little guy, John, is gonna remember the story. 
right? You got the, the altar, you got the meat, you got the, the trench filled with the water, and then you turn the story, and it's not like a little flame, it's a kaboom, right? <laughs> and if you talk about or think about the power of God, the manifest fire coming down from heaven, consuming not only the meat and the wood, but consuming the rocks that he built the altar from, the trench in all of the water, the presence and power of God showed up in a big way, boom. And of course the kids, they love it because it has the sound effects and the fun and the noises and all the stuff that comes with it. And he remembers the story. But big things happen. All the people rally. They get excited. They murder the 850 prophets of Baal. And not, uh, the miracle isn't done there because then Elijah, uh, filled with the power of God, basically prophesies and says, rain's gonna come. He sends a servant up to the hill and says, look for rain, is there a cloud yet? No, no cloud. Go up again, is there a cloud? No, no cloud. Go up again, look, is there, a, yes, the rain is coming. So the power of God fills Elijah again. And he says to Ahab, he says, Get on your chariot, race back to town because the rain's coming. Uh, scripture says he takes up his cloak, stuffs, his in, stuffs it into his belt. The power of God fills him to the point where his physical body can outrun a horse in a chariot. So he charges back to the city, full speed, outrunning the horse in the chariot back to town. So Elijah just experienced the miracle, the manifest presence, the manifest power of God in a tangible, real way. In a way that any one of us, if we saw that happen today, couldn't deny the power of God. Not only that, but he experienced the power of God in him, in his physical body. Scripture says the spirit of the Lord or the power of the Lord came upon him so that he could run so fast. Can you imagine that? I mean, we brush over these things in Scripture, but the power of God so strong that he can outrun a horse I mean, that's, that's real power, real presence in, inside of him, in his flesh, in his bones, and in his muscle. So that's generally where the story kind of ends when you hear it a lot of times. But he goes back to the city. Jezebel, who's at the city, finds out about this. And Ahab, when we talk about Ahab, we always talk about Ahab as the whiny king, as the complaining king. He goes back to Jezebel and we say something like, oh, Jezebel, I need, I want, I have to have, right, kids? And the way they whine, we don't want to be like Ahab, you know, the whining king Ahab. I need, I want, uh. So he goes back and complains to Jezebel. And he says, he killed all my prophets. Elijah murdered everyone. I don't know what we're going to do. You know, that kind of thing. Obviously, I'm, I'm not reading straight from scripture here if you didn't pick up on that. <laughs> It doesn't say that he whined, but that's, my, that's the way I imagine it, and that's the way I tell the story to my son, that this is the whiny king, the bad king, the king that was detestable in the eyes of the Lord. So obviously then the lesson is don't whine, right? <laughs> hey, parents appreciate that. Um, <clears throat> so then Jezebel puts a hit out on Ahab, or uh, excuse me, on Elijah, and uh, sends a, a messenger to Elijah and says, uh, we're going to kill you. And Elijah, in this moment of power, in this moment filled, literally filled with the power of God, he becomes afraid. And in, in my mind, in the Hollywood version of this story, or in my romanticized version of this story, Elijah strows in under the power of God and demands change and Jezebel's killed or dethroned and a new king is established and it's a time of peace and glory and harmony and wonderful and that's not what happens. Elijah is filled with fear. He's overtaken by the emotion of fear, completely overwhelmed by fear to the point that he runs away. And the, this point of the story is like, what? What happened? How did a man of God, the greatest prophet of his time, 
a man that he doesn't even die, eventually gets raised into heaven in chariots of fire. How, how does that happen? Suddenly going from filled with the power and presence of God to cowering away in fear. You would think if you're filled with the presence and power of God that nothing could stand in, in, in your way. And so that started me, it was about a year ago, started me on a journey of learning. And in that time, I've learned that it's a matter of the soul. So actually what I wanna talk about today is the condition and state of our soul, of your soul, and where you are at in, that, in this moment right now, uh, right now with God. If we're gonna talk about the soul, the first thing we have to talk about is uh, who we are as people. First uh, Thessalonians says, uh, Thessalonians says, may your whole spirit, your soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So in starting and studying this and learning about this, you see that there's three divisions of who we are. First over here on this side, I'm gonna have represent the spirit man. Over here, the spirit man is an eternal being in conception. The Bible says that God knew us in our mother's womb, that we have a spirit, we have a spirit being over here on this side that is eternal, that desires and longs for communion and does commune with Jesus, with God. Then over here on this side, I'm gonna represent the body, the physical flesh, the who we are, the flesh and bones, uh, the physical being that we are. And this side is fallen from sin. This side has fallen away because of, of sin being led into the world. So this side needs redemption, needs a savior in Jesus. And right in between is re represented by the soul. And when I started studying the soul, I learned that there's a lot of different representations of the soul. There isn't a definition in scripture that you're gonna say, oh, this is the soul, right? This is exactly what it is, it's where it resides, it's in your humerus bone, or it's in your femur, it's in your, right? There's not a physical place where you say, oh, this is the soul and the characteristics of the soul. A lot of people tend to describe the soul as your mind, your will, and your emotions. Three components to the soul. I'm not entirely sure if that's true. The Bible also talks about the heart. Uh, it talks about uh, des deep desires. Uh, there's a lot of, in fact, one of Jesus' scriptures even talks about um, uh, the different components, but we can't actually characterize it specifically. The mind, the will, and the emotions, I might say aren't necessarily the soul themselves, but are representation or influencers or drivers of the soul if that makes sense, if you'll follow me, uh, follow me with that. Uh, Jesus says uh, in Luke 10, he says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength and all your mind, and then love your neighbors as yourself, as the great, the great commandment, right? Above all things. And so he's including loving the Lord your God with all your soul, with everything that you are in your soul. So what is, what is the soul? So we characterize it, or characterize it as the, the spirit, uh, soul and body, and then the soul is your mind, your will, and your emotions. Um, what, what is the purpose or what is the, the place of the soul? In First Peter, the soul, uh, it says that uh, sin is waging war against the soul. So the body over here in a fallen state, the body over here in a separate state from God is raging war against the soul. Where the spirit over here on the other side is wooing the soul and drawing the soul into communion with God. And so you can see the soul kind of in this middle ground, in this, in this battle or balance between the two sides, the sinful flesh and the eternal uh, spirit that's trying to commune, uh, commune with God. Um, so when we describe the soul, then uh, um, I want to go back to the story now of Elijah. Because the story of Elijah continues on and Elijah goes into the desert, he runs away in fear. 
Now, if I was going to talk about Elijah's soul, I'm going to step in and say Elijah's soul at that moment was overwhelmed by fear, fear being an emotion. You hear Greg say it all the time that emotions make great servants and bad masters. So this fits in. If you say over here, if you're being mastered by your emotions, then you're in the flesh. You're over here in sin. But if emotions are guiding you and leading you and directing you, you're in the soul, right? You're over here where, where the soul is in fullness and, and in life and in communion with God. So Elijah is overwhelmed by fear and emotion. So you can say your mind, your will, um, and your emotion. That emotion suddenly shuts down the power of God in his life and he runs away into fear. In fact, he runs away to die. Um, if you think about the soul, you talk about King David. King David talks a lot about the soul. King David talks about in Psalms. So if you're questioning this or don't know where this is, or if you look introspectively at your own soul and say, where am I? Where is my soul? Read the Psalms because David describes the soul as being a, a place of joy, a place of glory, of wonder, of experience, a place of sadness, of loss, uh, of pain, the bitterness of the soul. You, you read Job, and Job talks about this bitterness of soul unto death. In fact, Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I want to get this exactly right, what he says. He says, my soul is overwhelmed even unto death. Jesus got to the point where his soul was overwhelmed, where he was so overtaken by this bitterness or this loneliness of the soul or this dark place of the soul that he wanted to die. In the great moment of the cross, take this cup from me, he says, because I can't handle it. My soul see, sees nothing but darkness. So if Jesus can even go to that place, of course we can. And Elijah, the greatest prophet of all, goes to that place of that bitterness of the soul. In fact, he says almost the same thing. He says, take my life, Lord. He goes and hides under a bush and he just goes to die. He's not gonna eat, he's not gonna drink, he's just gonna lay out and die. And that same thing that Jesus experienced, Elijah is going through, where his soul has disconnected, and he's in that dark place, deep, dark place of the soul. So he's saved by an angel, an angel comes. Uh, back to the story, this angel shows up with food and water, and he says, wake up, get up, drink and eat, for you have a long journey ahead of you. And then God leads him into the desert, 40 days, 40 nights into the desert. I don't quite understand that pattern, but it shows up a lot again. When the soul's not healthy, when something's not right, leave the, the society, leave the place that you're in, and go on this journey into the desert. The desert being wilderness, being isolation, being alone, uh, no food, no water. So he goes on this journey to the mountain of God. <clears throat> so God takes him to Mount Sinai, the same mountain where the Ten Commandments were, uh, were given. And God takes him up onto the mountain and, uh, and takes him to a cave. And it's interesting, in the scripture, it says the word of the Lord came to Elijah. And, uh, and then God and him have this conversation. I don't want to get into that conversation because it gets kind of deep and that's not the point of our, of our story today. But God has a conversation with Elijah in the mountain and then says, stand before me for a demonstration of my presence. So in the story then, we turn the page and the next portion of the story is a demonstration of God to Elijah. And this is what I, I really honestly don't, don't understand. I don't get, I didn't get what this was about. So he goes into the cave, he's in this mountain and here comes a wind, a mighty wind, a strong wind that blows so hard it shakes the mountain and the mountain crumbles down around Elijah. But then scripture says, but God was not in the wind. And then 
The next thing that comes is a mighty earthquake. And an earthquake comes and shakes the very foundations of the mountain. Again, the mountain starts to crumble down around Elijah. But God is not in the earthquake. Uh, I don't know, has anyone here ever experienced an earthquake? Quite an interesting experience. Uh, just this last April, we drove my little sister up to Alaska. She's spending the summer up there. And we were in this little camper van. We pulled in in the Yukon Territories, middle of nowhere. Five in the morning, all of a sudden the van starts jumping up in the air. I'm like, what the heck's going on? I jump out of bed thinking, my goodness, uh, my little sister jumping on the bumper, waking us up or whatever. She's being silly. No, the van's jumping up in the air. What in the world? I think, has a, a bear gotten in the trailer? We had a bunch of food in the trailer. Maybe he's in the trailer rocking. Oh my gosh, what's going on? I grabbed the bear spray. And all of a sudden, it's like it's going bear spray, yeah, to, to ward off the bear. I was afraid. You know, five in the morning, I was afraid, right? For my life. <laughs> I jump up and the trees are all like going like this and the van is all over the place and there's this crazy noise. It's like woo, 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 like really, really deep. Like if you think of like Transformers movie, right? Like woo, woo, woo. Anyway. <laughs> Scripture says that the, the, that the earth moans and groans and I was like, well, that's what it is. Crazy earthquake. It overwhelms my senses. I didn't know which way's up or down. I don't know what's right or left. I kind of don't know what's going on. Everything that I know that's normal, gravity, the earth, the river, all is going all over the place. What the heck? <laughs> it's kind of disorienting. But God is not in the earthquake. And then lightning and thunder. Lightning so bright that it overwhelms Elijah's senses. Completely overwhelms. I've, in, uh, in West Texas one time in a huge storm, it was so much lightning that it was like strobe lights. You couldn't even drive, you couldn't walk, you couldn't think, you couldn't talk, because there's so much lightning and thunder that you can't even function, your senses are completely overwhelmed. Has anybody ever experienced that? Amazing, where it's just incredible, flashing and going. So overwhelmed, completely overwhelmed is Elijah, and then, and then the stillness and quiet, and there's a small whisper, a very gentle, quiet whisper. And Elijah comes out from the mountain because he hears the whisper, the gentle whisper of the Lord. And then it's interesting what scripture says because then it says the voice of the Lord came to Elijah. Before he went into the cave, it was the word of the Lord. And I'm not putting this down. I'm not putting down the word of the Lord at all. The word of the Lord is valid. It's the written scripture. It's when someone gives a word and I speak the word of the Lord over someone or pray something over somebody. Very valid. The word of the Lord, a prophet, when, the, when a prophet would speak the word of the Lord, that's the word that they would use. I had, I had my mom who studied uh, Hebrew. She looked it up and it's, it's that prophetic that, that, that it can be the written word or that it can be spoken, but it's the word of, word of God. You look over here on the other side, after the cave, after the craziness and, and all the, the violence and, and storms and earthquakes, on this side it says the voice of the Lord. So you look up that word and the word voice literally means the voice of the Lord, the audible voice in a whisper, in a silent, it says silent whisper, a silent whisper. So how does this come back to the soul? Well, Elijah's soul was broken down by the emotion of fear, completely overwhelmed by this emotion of fear. He had to go through the desert. He had to go to the mountain. And he had to be broken down from the presence and power of God. He had to go to the cave and experience this momentary craziness where the wind comes, the earthquake comes, the lightning and thunder comes. And I kind of wonder... I don't have any scripture to back this up or deep theology. It's just my own thought that if it's, 
you know, if the wind and the earthquake and the, and the lightning could possibly represent our mind, our will, and our emotions. Let's just say, for example, that the earthquake, you know, our will, the ground is shaking. We can't do anything about that, right? The wind, maybe. I mean, it, it could be, I, I don't know, but he's breaking down his mind. He's breaking down his will. He's breaking down his emotions. He's bringing them underneath submission to the spirit. And when the soul breaks down and becomes submitted to the spirit, then, then we can hear the silent whisper, the gentle whisper. On this side of the cave, the body then, when it's calmed down and quiet, can hear the voice of God. I think maybe in our society, I don't, I don't know what would, this would be represented in, in Elijah's time, but... <clears throat> In our society, I think hurry and I think busy. As I've studied through this thing, I think those things can be the greatest challenge to the soul. Um, when I look at it, the idea of being hurried. Being hurried is in, the, is in the moment, right? I would prefer to be over here instead of right, right here in this moment. So I'm thinking about what's over there. I'm thinking about what I have to do there. I have to be rushed through what I'm in now to get to what I think I need to do tomorrow. And instead, what God calls us to do is to be here in the moment. What has God called you to do in this exact moment, in this exact time? In the infinite nature of a single moment, what has God called you to do today? Uh, the biggest one for me might be driving my car <laughs> through traffic. God has challenged me over the last year to slow down. The first day that, uh, that I did this, I said, okay, I'm not gonna hurry today. I'm gonna be present in the moment. I'm gonna know who I'm talking to. I'm gonna know what I'm gonna say. I'm gonna know what's going on. I really wanna be connected. God, connect me, connect my body to my soul and to my spirit today, right now, and who you've called me to be. And I said, okay, I'll drive slow to work. Who's ever driving the slowest, I'll go that speed. And of course, what happens? An old guy in an old Cadillac going 22, 23 miles an hour. Wow, a challenge to my soul. I can't believe it. That the emotions that came out of me, the frustrations that came out of me, the fact that this guy's driving so slow, I said, okay, I'm gonna drive behind him. And we're driving up to the light and it turns yellow. And I slam my fist down and I said out loud, I was the only one in the car. And I said, I would have made the light. <laughs> Who cares about the light? <laughs> <laughs> my body is over here racing along in full speed. I'm a driven guy. I'm goal-oriented. I want to see things accomplished. I want to see things done. And my soul is over here crying and screaming, slow down. Do what God wants you to do. Slow down. Listen to the voice of God. Tune in to what God has for you. My body is over here going more, 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 more. And what God has to do is stop me and break me down and go into that cave and overwhelm me with his wind, overwhelm me with the earthquake, the very foundation of my identity and who I am in him. Overwhelm me with the lightning so my senses, and my, I don't know what's up and I don't know what's down and I don't know what's right or left. So my body will calm down so I can connect to my soul and my spirit can commune with God so that all those things come together instead of just my flesh, just over here, the sinful nature where my mind, my will, and my emotions drive me into sin and drive me away from God. Instead, God breaks me down to the point where then I'm back in with him. And that's where the soul is, the health of the soul. So the challenge today is for you to each individually look at your own soul. Take that moment away 
take that thing, take a big step back and say, where am I with my soul, with what God has given me? And try to commune and talk to your soul and who, who God is for this moment right now in whatever moment that is. And if you're facing something, struggle, a, a temporary issue, a struggle, a finance is a health issue, it doesn't matter. In fact, we all know people or we've heard stories of people that their body's broken, they're dying of something or they, they have major issues in their, in their physical body, yet they're full of life and power. And we also know people that have a full functioning body. They're full of health and they're physically powerful, yet they have no life and energy because their soul's broken down. It's not the condition of the body, it's the condition of the soul. The soul needs to be saved. The very first thing is that if you haven't given your life over to God and haven't righted your soul and said, God, this is yours, that's the very first thing you have to do. That's not optional. It's not, a, you have to give it over to God. That's the very first thing. But then you have to go way deeper and say, silence the flesh. Get in line with the word, my mind, my will. Renew, renew your mind every day, right? Renew, God calls us to renew our mind. Why? So that we connect with our soul. So that our soul can be full and our soul can be alive. Awesome. So to wrap this up or to, or to talk about, first of all, I want to kind of get into that, that heart of communion. Because we're going to take communion here at the end. And the communion is a time of communion with God. It's going to be an individual time. Because individually, it's a, a lot of times we do group, family, family groups, friendship groups, get together and, and share communion and pray. But this time, talk to God about your soul individually. Where am I? Where is my soul? Is it a good place where it's connecting the body and the spirit? Is it, a, is it in that place of communion with Christ where the spirit is fully alive and well or is my body overwhelming the soul? Is society overwhelming the soul to the point that there is no life, that there is no joy? that the bitterness of the soul has overtaken us to that point that Jesus talks about where, where Job was, where Elijah was, where our soul is so broken down, then go to God. Seek the solitude. In fact, I looked up, I, I tried to come up with everything I could think of that would be healthy for my soul. And I said, obviously, worship. I mean, come on, the acoustic set, this kind of thing. In fact, Matt picked a bunch of songs that were soul songs. I mean, he was singing about the soul, the soul all morning. He didn't even know what I was going to be teaching, but it's all throughout worship. Worship, give yourself over, quiet down the flesh and give yourself to God and say, God, I'm here and let the soul speak. Awaken, O soul, within me. Come alive, O soul. I mean, read, read Psalms, what David has to say about how glorious is it, my soul, that, I, that it comes before you in worship, in prayer, in relationships, uh, to, to actually have dinner together and not be rushed, right, in fellowship, to not be here and there and I gotta go and it's an appointment and what's next, but to just sit on the porch and fellowship and eat. Uh, in fact, if I said something that is good for the soul, if I talk about the body, whatever over here is healthy for the body, that's not selfish, but that's good for the body, because as soon as we get selfish, we're not soul. Absolutely. As soon as selfishness comes in, there's no soul at all. It's about you, and it's about what you want now, not about what God desires and what God wants. But if you eat right, if you sleep right, if you think on good things, if you fellowship with the right people, whatever in a selfless manner is good for, so a good, delicious dessert, we would say, oh, don't eat that. Ah, it's bad for you. And I would say, yeah, if you overeat, of course. But enjoy that with your friends and your family. It's good for the soul, 
right? We know that. It feeds the soul. It feeds conversation. Going to a movie together, going out on a walk, going to the park, whatever is healthy for the body is also going to be healthy for the soul because they're connected. You can't, and then it's gonna feed the spirit because we're supposed to meditate on his word. We're supposed to think on things that are, are just and things that are holy and things that are true. And when we do that, we bring that all together in, into unity. Psalms 23. <clears throat> this is the place I wanna go to today. Psalms 23, we all know Psalms 23. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He makes me. It's not a choice. It's not a, in fact, I was at a point in my life where I was pushing so hard. I was pushing my body so hard, my body broke down. I lost weight, got unhealthy, things happened in my physical body because I was all flesh. I didn't have soul in what I was doing. He makes me lie down. We, I, I like to say we either choose to slow down or God slows us down. And we say, oh, we're sick. We need to pray through a sickness. Maybe God's getting a, a sickness to slow you down so you become introspective, so that you look at who you are, so that you pray, so you seek the Father, so you call on his name. Not that God would make us sick, but slow us down. Slow us down because we're going so fast. We're going so hard. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He rest- our soul needs to be restored. Our soul needs to be healed. It needs to commune with God. Absolutely. Hebrews 6.19, we have this hope as an anchor for our soul, firm and secure. What Hebrews is talking about there in chapter six is Jesus. We have this hope as the anchor for our soul in Jesus. Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, the one who knew you before you were even born, the one who loves you infinitely and gave everything for you is the anchor for our soul. Not a desire, not a want, not the next greatest thing or the best fashion or the closest friend or a satisfying relationship or companionship, but Jesus, the anchor for our soul. And if we can take that time to quiet the flesh and awaken, O soul within me, to find Jesus here today. The last thing is Psalms 103. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Everything that I am, spirit, soul, and body, everything that God created me to to be, and it's a command. It says, bless, it's not not your choosing, you're saying, bless the Lord, O my soul, and everything that I am, God, bless his holy name. So if you don't know where to go, if you don't know what to do, if you're in that darkness, that, that deep, hidden, dark, bitter, place of the soul, then say, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that I am, bless his holy name. Everything that I have, everything that I give, bless the name of the Lord. So as we go into communion today, to finish out our service today, have that heart, bless the Lord, O my soul. Take communion today and say that. Say, God, where's my soul? Where am I with you? And where are you with me? 
And if I have to go through the, the cave and the mountain, then take me through the cave and the mountain. If I have to go through the desert, it's a wonderful place because God's voice, God's whisper is on the other end. That's where God wants us to be, on the other end. So I'm gonna pray and then we'll go take communion and just find that place with God individually with you. God, I invite you into this place. God, I invite you into our lives. Reveal yourself to us, Jesus, today. Show us a little bit of who you are. Each individual person here today, that you would reveal the condition of our soul. The lover of my soul, God, be the lover of my soul here today. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening. For more great content, please visit us on the web at vintagecitychurch.com.